Good morning, great people. How are the wonderful will changers this morning? Good. Some of you don't feel like a will changer, do you? But you are one, because that's what Jesus says about you. So that is who we are. Welcome to those who are watching online. So good to have you with us. And uh, I'm trusting that the same presence and anointing we experience here, you will experience in your homes, wherever you are, in those huge gatherings that you have in your cars, whatever. God bless you as you join us this morning. Well, well done for making it to church. I know that, you know, sometimes the enemy throws everything he's got at you to keep you from doing that which keeps you alive. And church is one of those things. So well done for making it to church today. I am trusting that God is going to do an amazing miracle in every one of our lives this morning. Carol is busy ministering in our church in Sung Hill. So we pray for her, we bless her. She's uh, raising the dead over there while we raise the dead yet. How many of you brought your dead this morning? Okay, well, we'll just trust that all of you will experience some resurrection power. Father, thank you for this great group of amazing children of God. I bless them, Lord. I bless our time together. I thank you, my Lord, that every time we gather as a church, it's not just another event, it's not just out of tradition, it's not out of duty. It is a place that you've commanded us to gather on the first day of the week as the early church did. And that you release your encouragement, you release your exhortation in our lives, you release joy, you release hope. And I declare right now, every assignment of the enemy operating in any person's life right now, we cut you off. We command you to go where Jesus sends you. You may not operate here. I release the truth of the Holy Spirit to fill and flood every person's heart, every person's mind. Those watching at home, Lord, flood their homes right now with your light. And Lord, speak to us. Remove veils from our eyes that we would see you as you truly are. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, we, we started this series last week, Carol started, and uh, she shared on Mastering Your Monday. The series that we've started is really talking about a really bad day that Jesus experienced. There are only two bad days that Jesus experienced. How many of you can guess which the worst one was? The crucifixion, very good. <laughs> None of us like the cross, right? Unless... We look at the other side of the cross. It's going through the cross that was not a very pleasant thing. But Jesus, outside of the crucifixion, which was by far his most uh, challenging day that he went through, there is another day that Jesus went through, and it is the only other 24-hour period recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it was also a stressful day. Max Lucado, who, who writes quite a bit about this day, he tells the story, it's a true story, about Chippy the parakeet. And you can go and ask Max about that story. Uh, or would you like to hear it? How many of you have a parakeet? No one has a parakeet here. How many of you have seen a parakeet? Oh, you have a parakeet. A paraclete. Okay, so uh, paraclete, we all have the paraclete. Thank you, Mark. That was, that was good. That was good, right? The parakletos is the Holy Spirit. That's the Greek word for our helper. So we all have the paraclete. But this was not the paraclete. This was a parakeet. His name was Chippy. And Chippy was sitting in his cage just happily singing and chatting away. But as parakeets do, they tend to not be able to go and do their business elsewhere. And their cages get 
kind of dirty. And so the, the parakeet's owner realizes the cage is dirty and she decides to come and clean it. But she's in a bit of a rush, so today she chooses to use the vacuum cleaner to just vacuum out the bottom of the cage. And she's busy happily vacuuming the bottom of the cage when the phone rings. And as she turns to answer the phone, she hears a noise that is not a noise that we hear regularly. It's kind of a... So, what, what, what was that? And she looks and Chippy is gone. Man, I mean, Chippy was having a great day and all of a sudden life sucks. <laughs> Any of you ever experienced that? You're having a good day. You're on your perch, peaceful, whistling away, chatting happily, singing, and then suddenly life sucks. Now she's like, she drops the phone, opens up the bag, there's Chippy still alive in the vacuum bag. But now Chippy, who's a little bit dazed and what, 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 what on earth, you know, Chippy's got a British accent. And, and she grabs Chippy out of all the dust and the soot, but now Chippy's filthy. So what would any loving God do to their little creation? We'd have to, we'd have to clean you up, right? So she grabs Chippy, who is now really, life sucks, but now all of a sudden, he's stuck under a faucet of hot water. And we're going to wash you clean, you know. And suddenly he's been doused from head to toe, trying to scratch his way out. But she's finally got him clean. There you go, Chippy. But now Chippy's freezing cold and shivering. Oh no, we can't have that. So this loving owner who wants the best for her little parakeet grabs the hairdryer. <laughs> Chippy, you're good to go. Back in the clean cage. There you go, Chippy. Everything good. How many of you feel a little bit like Chippy sometimes? So this was actually written up in the newspaper, and a couple of days later, the journalist who writes it up calls the lady and says, so how's Chippy doing? Still alive? She's like, well, he's still alive, but he hasn't sung or spoken ever since. He just kind of sits on one perch and stares. Any chippies in the church? Hey, I, I can relate, you know. There are times that I just come to church and sit and stare. It's just like, I don't know what happened, God. It's just like, man. Most of us can relate to that. Storms of life hit. And you weren't doing anything wrong. You were sitting on your perch singing. Jesus can relate. Jesus can understand. He had a day like that. And today I want to look at the second part of this particular day. And Carol spoke about mastering your Monday. I want to talk about victims versus victors. So many people, and I spend probably 50% of my time just doing inner healing and counseling and, and ministering to particularly men. If you're a woman, go to Pastor Sammy and Tobeka. We have, we have an incredible anointing that God releases for people's souls to be healed because everyone needs some soul healing. Everyone's broken. Is there anyone in this room who is not broken in some way? All right, everyone just say, great, I'm part of the family. Because the enemy will try and tell you there's something wrong with you. Everyone else is okay. We're all broken. We all need Jesus. And in our brokenness, and when life sucks, and we get stuck in the vacuum, and we're covered in soot and mud, and then get blasted with hot water, and before we know it, the storms are raging, and the billowing wind is trying to blow us dry, and we think, oh God, I survived, 
And our owner, our God, is going, see how much I love you. <laughs> Chippy doesn't feel very loved. And you can either go into the storms of life with a victim mindset that says, oh, woe is me, it just always happens to me, maybe I'm cursed. I know, I've counseled a few of those. Or you can go, praise God for this opportunity. Now, Jesus, if we look at this particular story, it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the particular passages are listed there. I'm going to read from Matthew because he gives a lot more detail, and it's going to be up there on the screen. So there's Matthew. And he starts and he says, when Jesus heard what happened, remember if you weren't here last week, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin and closest friend and ally in building the kingdom, the only other person who understands who Jesus really is and how the kingdom works, he is beheaded. So John has now been killed. Jesus is broken. If you have lost one of the closest people, one of your closest allies, a family member that you love, what would you want to do? Well, you probably want to be like Jesus, where it says he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Private, solitary. Are you all getting the picture here? When you're going through a grief time, you go to a private place, and Matthew reinforces solitary. What does that mean? He wants to be alone. And he goes to this place to be alone, but hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from all the towns. And Jesus lands, he wants to just spend time with his heavenly father, he wants to just work through the grief. But he sees these crowds, he sees them and has compassion on them, and he healed all their sick. Jesus had a victory mindset, not a victim mindset. If you've had a really bad day and then suddenly there's a crowd of people that need help, what would, <laughs> what would you do? Dad, you know, you know I'm going through a tough time. I, I, I don't have time for this, Dad. You know, I, I'm battling my own stuff. Why do they always call me when I'm battling my own stuff? Now they want me to minister to them, Dad. So as evening approaches, the disciples come to him and say, this is a remote place. Now let me explain what that means. There's no pizza hut nearby. There's no Burger King. Man, and Uber Eats doesn't go there because their camels are too slow. They can't go the distance. The food is off by the time they get there. And so they're in a remote place, and the disciples say, it's getting late. Send them away. They can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, if you were one of the disciples, listen, there's 5,000 men, and they had a culture of only counting men. Jesus counts women and children too. They count in the kingdom. You are someone who counts in the kingdom. Amen. And so Jesus means, he's got these 5,000 men, that means there are probably around about 15,000 people there, if you include women and children. How much would you have to buy to feed 15,000 people? And Jesus turns to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Now you've got nothing. It's like Jesus, <laughs> it's a joke, right? <laughs> it's a right, it's a joke, Jesus. He says, no, you give them something to eat. But we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring them here. Bring what you got. He directs the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves, two fish. He looks up to heaven. And he, what did he do? He gave thanks. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. They gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Not only that, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. God of more than enough. 
Do you think Jesus knew how much was needed? It's like there's an angel there saying, all right, Jesus, you got enough. They'll go enough. I'm going to keep going. Why do why you keep going, Jesus? I mean, are there more people coming? No, 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 watch. I, I want all the baskets to still be full at the end of this event. I want to show people that I'm the God of more than enough. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. You give them something to eat. How many times have you felt like in incredible challenges, when you face in impossible circumstances, Jesus asks more of you. Jesus, let's just send everyone away. You give them something to eat. John gives us a little bit more clarity on what happened in the background there. And in John 6, he describes that it was Philip who comes to Jesus and says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew's got a little more faith, right? Any Andrews in the house? He speaks up, but here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? You see, this victim mentality always looks at what you don't have. Always looks at lack. It's not looking at what you have. It's always looking at what you don't have. It's not looking at what God is doing. It's always looking at what God isn't doing. God, why didn't you heal my leg? Yeah, but look at the rest of your body that works so well. Victim mentality, always what we don't have. Jesus brings this victor's mentality. Bring what you have to me. And he takes them and he breaks them. Looks up to heaven, what does he do? He does the same thing in John. He gave thanks. He does the same thing in Mark and Luke. You can have a Luke for yourself when you get home. Victory mindset always says, what do we have? You give whatever little you have to Jesus, he can do a miracle. But you have to give him something. Remember when Moses is standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind them and it's looking terrible and, oh God, it's horrible, we're going to get killed and oh, you brought us here to die. And he cries out, God, save us. And God says to him, Moses, why are you crying out to me? You take that. What is that in your hand? It's just a stick. It's my staff. Well, take what you've got. I'll anoint it. Take that staff, touch the water and see what happens. God always wants us to give something of ourselves. This is a principle you'll see through and through the scripture. And many times we don't give what we have of ourselves because we don't think it's enough. And so we're waiting for God to do this massive miracle when he's saying, use what I've given you and see what I do with it. And so God does this. Now, when you have a victim versus victory mindset, remember the story of, you know, is your glass half full or half empty? How many of you have a glass, right? I mean, I mean if you have half a cup of coffee still, I know for me, when I look at my coffee and it's half, uh, at the halfway level, I'm just going, oh no, there's only half left. So that's kind of a combination. But the, the victim mentality is, the glass is half empty. Dang it, look at what you don't have. Victor's mentality, the glass is half full. Now in this case, the disciples are looking at this basket, because they didn't have glasses in those days. And the, the basket is 99.9% .9 empty, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Give me that 0.01%. Let's see what we'll do with it. We will have 12 baskets of leftovers. These are these two mindsets. And so I want to just really look quickly at two mindsets today. And the mindsets 
of victory thinking that I want to address are what I consider the two foundational, most critical, most pronounced throughout the New Testament principles. Is that if you are going to be a victory-minded person, you have to choose gratitude over grumbling. What do you say? Amen. And then, something about living in victory on this earth is you have to understand that eternity always trumps entitlement for the here and now. So many of us want everything we can get in the here and now. That's why we call it the here and now. We are here and now here. How many of you are here and now? And so many people are just, wait, when I win the lotto, where... No, we, we got to know, how do we handle here and now, especially when you hear that sound. So, many of you have heard me teach on gratitude many times, and it's probably one of the things that saved my life. If you look at the whole understanding of gratitude, you will find it throughout Scripture. I mean, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. That's how Hezekiah won a war. They went and sent patients and the worship team. Next time we've got a war, we're sending them out front. They, they, you get shot first. Who wanted to be in the worship team that day? It's like you give them something to eat. Wow, look, there's just too many of them. Well, don't worry, worship team. I know you, you really practiced on your harps and your lyres. And give us bows and arrows. No, harps and lyres. And you go out there and all you're going to do is sing. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And as they sing in, the enemy scatters. Give thanks. How did Jesus do a miracle with five loaves of bread and two fish? What would you have prayed? 15,000 people. Here's some bread, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. That'll, that should be enough for me. Uh, we've got to feed everyone. What prayer would you have prayed? Oh, God, please do something. Jesus shows the power of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving brought the miracle. I'm going to look at just a couple of scriptures. And this is one of my favorite, Colossians 3, 15 to 17, in the amplified version, which means I have to say it really loud. Let the peace of Christ... Oh no, the amplified means it amplifies the descriptor, sorry. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with Him, be the controlling factor in your heart that decides and settles every question that arises. To this peace indeed you were called as members in one body. And be thankful to God always. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you. In other words, not just reading the Bible, but hearing what Christ is constantly saying to me. Hearing the truth of the Holy Spirit constantly directing me. Constantly telling me truth in the midst of the lies. As you teach, admonish, and train one another with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. i got to tell you this, friends. If, forget about Christian, non-Christian, people who learn the attitude of gratitude always do better. In fact, they, you know, so many studies have been done, and I, I don't have time to go into all, all the studies, but they have shown that nothing helps heal the brain better and trauma than gratitude. They've done this on PTSD victims. The PTSD victims who recovered were the ones that chose gratitude over grumbling. 
Dr. Caroline Leaf, many of you have heard of Dr. Caroline Leaf. I love her stuff. She's actually, she's a South African. She's a communication pathologist, cognitive neuroscientist, and uh, she specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology, but she's also a spirit-filled Christian. And if you ever get to read her stuff, it's great, but she loves this verse, and this is what she says about this verse. Choice is real and free will exists. You are able to observe your own thinking. So what we have to do is consult with God and change negative toxic thoughts to grow healthy positive thoughts. And she shows how the brain literally lays down proteins based on the way you think. Thoughts aren't these little flippy things that come and go. They literally lay down pathways in your brain that you will keep following. The thoughts you keep thinking will lay down mega highways that will make it your natural go-to every single time. So if you are a person who has spent your life grumbling and complaining, you have a grumbling and complaining highway in your brain, and it will always run to that highway. And if you choose today to turn from grumbling to gratitude, it's going to take a while to form the new highway. But if you choose minute by minute, vacuum suck by vacuum suck, water blow and air dryer blow by air dryer blow, you choose to say, she loves me, she's doing this for my good. <laughs> In this case, God. And so she says, when you do this, your brain responds with a positive neurochemical rush, structural changes that will improve your intellect, health, and peace. You will experience soul harmony. I've said this many times, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Your daily decisions determine your destiny. Say it with me. Say it as my. My daily decisions determine my destiny. It's not some kind of cosmic, God, fulfill my destiny. He's like, I have a plan for your life, but you've got to choose to walk it. You can meander all over there, and it's like, what are you doing? I've got this plan over here. It's never going to force you to follow your destined path. But as I'm spirit-led to follow on the destined path, it's the choices that I make day by day, whether I'm going to abide by the truth, be led by the Spirit, or go my own way that determine my destiny. You are today the result of every choice you've made until you got here. It is not life that is throwing you curveballs all the time. It is not this horrible world. It's not I'm cursed. The choices you've made, whether you grumble or whether you have gratitude, are the ones that have led to the attitude you have today. Corrie Ten Boom, who went through the same concentration camps as all the others, six million wiped out. Corrie Ten Boom is in one of the worst concentration camps. All her friends got bitter. She got better because she chose to look for things that she could thank God for in the midst of it. And so, Caroline Leaf goes on and makes this conclusion, which I love, which is why I'm sharing on it today. Now, these are obvious statements. However, many of us walk through life as though we are victims of the events and circumstances of life and biology and whatever or whomever else we can think of to blame. Speaking to anyone? Okay, don't raise your hands, I know. As a therapist for nearly 20 years, having reached millions of people through seminars, books, media appearances, the statements I make more than any others are these. You are, say it with me, you are not a victim. You can control your reactions, you do have a choice. Friends, here's a truth that, that we hammer when we counsel people. You cannot control your circumstances. You can control your reactions to your circumstances. So many are victims trying to control what they can't control. 
God, if you were a good God, there wouldn't no vacuums are going to suck you up every now and then. I can't control that. I can control how I react when that happens. People are going to stand on your toes. In this world, you will have slipsis, Jesus said. Remember that? Slipsis. It is the Greek word for trouble, persecution, pressure, hardship. In this world, it's a promise from Jesus. How am I going to respond? So I need to learn to choose, as I've taught before, the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. Yes! There are times it's going to go good. I'm thankful. There's times it's going to go bad. And I have to go, okay, Lord, the, the glass is half full of bad, half full of good. What am I going to choose to look at? Sometimes the basket's only got 0.01% of good in it. What are you going to do with it? Jesus, I'm going to take that and give it to you and see what you can do. There's a story. Of, how many of you know Charlie Mackesee, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, you know? Uh, he, he, he writes this, and I don't know if is Melody here today. Melody sent me this from Kotsor. She sent this to encourage me. I thought this would be great for my message today. But there is Charlie Mackesy, and he, the mole looks up at the boy and says, Is your glass half empty or half full? asked the mole. I think I'm just grateful to have a glass, said the boy. Wow. That takes it up a notch. Is the glass half empty or full? It's all empty. But you've got a glass. That's a victory mindset. Victors are always, what do we have? What do we have? What do we have? People who work around victors and they victims always get frustrated with the victors because they always, it's like, you're just an idealist. Well, let's all be idealists because God is one. Amen. Some of you like peanuts. If, I, I like animals, so I use animals a lot. I have three beautiful dogs. I would have brought them with me. Carol never lets me. And Subi's like, well, how about that? Everyone's eating turkey today, but just because I'm a dog, I get dog food. Of course, it might have been worse. You fill in the blanks. In his case, I could have been born a turkey. There's always going to be something to worry about, always going to be something to be anxious about, but there's always going to be something to be thankful for. Always, always, always. Paul says this, you don't have to flip to Philippians, you can just take a look up there. But Philippians 4, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. You've had some Christians go to the extreme, which says, God's desire is us for just to have plenty. Come to Jesus. You'll have everything you want. You'll have money. You'll have health. You'll have wealth. You'll have a life of leisure, treasure, pleasure. Any of you heard that message? And then you have others who go, no, actually, we need to just give up all of that and just go move into a little monastery in a cave somewhere and give up everything and have nothing. And No, the truth is somewhere in between. We're going to go through times when we have, and we go through times that we don't have. Some people are born... And destined to have more wealth because God wants them to use it for the kingdom. Not all of us are destined to have wealth and goods. The early church gave up just about everything they had. Musa preached an amazing message on that last time. But he says, I know what it is to have need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have quoted that verse before? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
It is related to going through the challenges of life. I can be content. It says that I need Jesus' strength just to be content. How many of you can relate to that? Because when I have nothing and I'm hungry, I'm not content. Yeah, I'm very, very unhappy. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the grace and the strength to be content right now. I go, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. And then the second principle that I want to look at, eternity versus entitlement. I'm going to be a little quicker on this. Because let me say this, friends, if you get gratitude down, you'll transform your life. If you choose to be grateful in every situation, and as that vacuum is sucking you up, you go, whoa, this is an adventure. Wow, look at the little knobs on that pathway as I'm going through the pipe. Oh, it's nice and warm in here. Oh, there's little bugs. She sucked up some bugs. Nice bug bug. So there's always something how you're going to approach life. But there's something we have to get. I believe personally, and I've, I've said this before, but I believe the extremes of the faith and prosperity message have done more harm to the church than good. Jesus never said those things. Jesus never said, you're going to have everything you want in this life. Jesus never said that I'm going to make you wealthy, healthy, leisure, treasure, pleasure, in every way on this side of heaven. What he did say is you're going to have trouble. What he did say is he who does not disown and deny everything he has can't be my disciple. What he did say is how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which words are we going to abide by? I'm not against having, listen to me, wealth is a tool in the kingdom. We need money. We want to build buildings. We want to change the world. And God gives us wealth so that we can use it to build the kingdom. But if it's for my own personal leisure, treasure and pleasure, I'm missing the point. And so we've got to understand that this side of heaven, we may not have everything that was promised. Even Hebrews 11, those who believed and trusted in faith didn't see the promise in their lifetime. We're looking for, it said they were looking for a city that they did not see in their lifetimes. We are part of this city, but friends, we are not part of this world. Jesus, when he stands before Pontius Pilate, thank you, he stands before the Pilate and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If you flip over to Philippians 3, Paul says this, For as I've told you often, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about Christians. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not your home. Someone's put it like this. This earth, is the only hell that Christians will ever experience. It is also the only heaven that unbelievers will experience. Which heaven do you want? The one here or the one there? Which side of heaven do we get all the gain? Well, I'm going to look quickly at some things that both Jesus and Paul said. If we look at Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple, who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? Jolly good. Because I don't know what altar call you answered, 
Come to Jesus. He'll make you happy, healthy, give you a beautiful husband, wife, lovely child. And He will bless you with lots of things. Let me tell you, it's His will to bless you. But if Him giving you all gain, the side of heaven, is your goal, you're going to be disappointed. Whoever wants to be my disciple, this is what you must do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, which means die, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. Then, say then, then He will reward each person according to what they have done. My reward's not going to be down here. I think the more I get rewarded down here, it's like Jesus said, when you are praised on earth, you've received your reward in full. Rather don't so that you can have your reward in heaven. What did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's a modern theology that many Christians have bought in. For me to live on the side of earth, of heaven, is all gain. Jesus gain. I mean Jesus, give me gain, gain, gain. Again. And again I say gain, gain. As opposed to, yeah, I let go of all that. Jesus, if you give me wealth, I'll use it for your kingdom. If I go through tough times, I'm going to thank you because you'll always bring me through. Because you've promised you'll look after me. I'll always have enough. Hebrews 12, I'm just going to quickly close with a couple more scriptures. Hebrews 12, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone ahead, throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. What did he do for the joy set before him? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Friends, some of you are going to go through times where you are having to endure your cross. That Jesus said in the earlier scripture, take up your cross. Sometimes we gain to face the cross. It's not pleasant. It's painful. What is the joy set before you? Because a victory mindset says, or the victim will always go, I'm complaining and grumbling about what storms are doing to me. The victor has gratitude for what the storms are doing for me. How many of you know? Thank you, Bertie. There's Chippy. Oh, I called him earlier for the visual aid and he came in late. How many of you are grateful that you went through some stuff. How many of you know that our Father disciplines us and it says no discipline is pleasant but painful at the time? Why does He discipline us? Because friends, if I am living in a beautiful, safe, tropical paradise, I can raise my children just to be happy. But if I'm living in warfare, I raise my children how to handle a gun. I raise them how to run fast. I train them how to hide under things. We're in warfare. God your Father is training and disciplining you to be a good soldier, not just a good child. Amen. Paul says, so if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His... <laughs> so we may also share in His glory. And... A victim mentality is suffering. I just think Christianity is all about. No, it's not. Paul says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed for, to us. You know, and in us. The joy set before him. When you're going through stuff, just go, oh, more glory. More glory. 
Romans, but you don't have to go Roman over there. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. How many of you rejoice in your sufferings? Gosh, I'm still trying to learn that. I rejoice until the suffering. But how can I rejoice in it? Because I know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and it's a hope that does not disappoint. Amen? So friends, in conclusion... In conclusion, press the right button so it goes forward, not backward. Write that down. That's a good point for life. Victors choose gratitude over grumbling and prioritize eternal gain and glory over feeling entitled to have it all here and now. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. you just look inside your heart right now what are the things that you've been anxious about lately what are the things that you've grumbled about this week Holy Spirit remind us of all the things we've internally or externally grumbled about this week remind us Holy Spirit of the times that we've had a victim mentality see those thoughts going on, those feelings, those attitudes. I'm going to ask you to just be a little creative with me right now, and I want you to look inside your soul and see where those thoughts are operating. Those attitudes, the grumbling, the fear, the anxiety, the victim mindset, and just grab it, pull it out of your soul, and hold it in front of you in your hands. That ugly black mess of stuff going on. Just hold it in front of you. every mind. Regi release your joy so that they can rejoice in you in every situation. Rejoice in our sufferings, trials, vacuum sucking experiences. Rejoice because we know that it is producing in us more of Jesus. And that's what we want. Would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, Help me to see as you see that every situation I face there's something to be grateful for. There's something to learn. And there's something you want to put inside me 
to make me more like Jesus. Give me the grace and the strength to be content and grateful every minute of every day. In Jesus' name. Won't you give him a hand? Thank you, Lord. Friends, I'm going to give you a challenge this week. Your daily decisions determine your destiny. Let me say this. Your minute-by-minute decisions determine your destiny. You take this week to be grateful in everything. Find what you can be thankful for, no matter what you're going through. And the storms will come. And come back on Sunday and tell me if it did not change your week. Come back on Sunday and tell me if that did not change the way you see, feel, live your life. Amen.